Vancouver, Canada, February 23, 1995. At first, Bill Wilson thought it was an old brown bull perched on a bed of rocks, surrounded by reeds and bushes at the edge of the swamp. But as he walked over to the object to have a closer look, he could see it was a human skull. While the skull had been sliced in half, it was still very recognizable as human. This was a human skull. These were human remains. Bill Wilson was standing in a crime scene. His first instinct was to flee, and so he turned and ran like the coward he was. As he hiked back up to the road, Bill thought about calling the police. But this was a human skull, and Bill had a serious criminal record. He was a convicted sexual predator, having spent time in jail for both indecent exposure and rape. Given his record, Wilson feared the police would think he was the killer. Wilson made his living as a woodcarver and a handyman, and on that cold, gray day in 1995, he had been trying to fetch some water from the swamp that ran along the south side of Lougheed Highway, close to the mouth of Stave River, roughly 25 miles east of Vancouver. He wanted the water to wash off his car, which was parked up the road at his roadside stand displaying his handcrafted bird feeders. So he clambered down the six-foot slope with his water bottle in hand to the boggy edge of the swamp, where he spotted the bisected skull about 40 or 50 feet away. Wilson spent the day rationalizing his decision not to contact the police. He had to go shopping. He had a doctor's appointment. And it was bingo night. Before bed that night, Wilson walked into the washroom to brush his teeth. He had a sickening, uneasy feeling. He was staring at himself in the mirror when suddenly his nose fell off. He began to weep out of shock and horror. His hands, acting of their own volition, burrowed into his face and began to peel off layers of skin. Blood and pieces of flesh fell to the floor. When he looked up, he saw a bloodied, skeletal face. He grabbed his jaw and tore it off. He then gouged out his own eyes before cracks formed in the middle of his own skull with milky white worms and pus oozing from the wound. As his bisected skull slid apart, his cranium split wide open exposing his fleshy, pulsating brain. Wilson tried to scream, but his vocal cords were severed. The mirror shattered as shards of glass pelted him like bullets, tearing his body apart in a gory explosion of blood and viscera. Wilson woke up screaming and clawing at his head. He sat up in bed, lit only by the surreal glow of the moon through his bedroom window, trying to purge the gruesome imagery from his mind. He had had a dream, a nightmare, Yet it felt so real. Bill Wilson was unable to sleep for the rest of the night. Whenever he closed his eyes, all he saw was the skull, staring back at him with a macabre grimace. The screams, bone-chilling, infinite. Cries of torment from the beyond. It screamed at him like a banshee all night long. Its single, putrid eyeball emitted a sickly, yellowish glow of death and infection the screaming skull of a murder victim. The concept of haunted human remains are an ancient superstition dating back to the Paleolithic era. Early man feared those they killed would rise from their graves to seek vengeance on the living. What is known as necrophobia, an irrational or imaginary fear of the dead, particularly of the skull, which was thought of as the magic charm where the spirits of the dead resided. The next day, Bill Wilson decided he had to report what he discovered in the swamp. 
Just before 5 o'clock in the afternoon on February 24, 1995, he contacted the police. Wilson led police to the scene, where they found half a skull, split in half vertically, cleanly, from the crown down through the back of the head and the jawbone in front. It looked as if it was cut with an electric saw. The skull was placed into a cardboard box, taken to the morgue, and placed on a shelf to dry because it was still wet. The medical examiner, Dr. James Ferris, who had performed thousands of autopsies, was certain that the skull had not been in the swamp until recently. A chunk of the eyeball can be seen in one of the sockets, and the nose was still attached. Although Ferris believed the woman had been dead for 12 to 24 months, he was sure the skull had been in the water for only a couple of weeks. This was because of the grave wax found on the remains, which is formed when fats in the body break down and combine with water to form a waxy substance. Grave wax eventually calcifies into a hard coating over bone, not unlike tartar on teeth. It is difficult to remove and does not contain human DNA. Dr. Ferris knew the skull had been cut in half by someone who was used to dismembering living things, but it wouldn't be someone with a medical knowledge of anatomy because the cut lines were crude and uneven. Based on the cheekbones and other facial features, he was also able to determine the skull belonged to a young adult female of European and indigenous descent. Many in the Vancouver Police Department believed the skull came from Indian burial grounds that had been unearthed and floated down into the marsh. Dr. Ferris was confident that whoever this skull belonged to had been murdered. Who was she? He couldn't say. No one knew who she was. The police dog and divers who searched the swamp found nothing. She was a Jane Doe, one of the nameless ones. The victim remained a Jane Doe and her skull would rest in a box in a police evidence locker for nearly a decade. What no one knew at the time was that some of Jane Doe's bones were buried deep in a pit on a farm not far away in a small town called Port Coquitlam. A farm of torment, suffering, and death. A farm owned by two brothers, Robert and David Picton. To this day, the identity of who the skull belonged to remains unknown. The ghost of the unnamed will haunt the cursed land until the mystery of her identity is solved. Do you think I'm spooky? I told my mom I thought I saw a werewolf. And my mom believed me. I like them putting chemicals in the water that turn the friggin' frogs gay! Serious crap! You think these people were eaten? My dog stepped on a bee. Unidentified flying objects. I think that fits the description pretty well. Haunted in the remains. He's dead. But he has the power to move and kill. She was bludgeoned to death with an axe. <laughs> A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. When I stand on the mountain and I say, do it, it gets done. If it don't get done, then I'll move on it. And that's the last thing in the world you want me to And this is the Spookies Podcast. <laughs> Hello, I'm Stephanie, 
the dark goddess of horror. And I'm Michael, expert in the occult and lover of all things macabre and spooky. So today is part three of four of our serial killer agricultural epic Canadian crime story. And after this episode, I am taking a shower and burning all of my clothing. <laughs> this is where everything falls apart for the pig man. This is his Waterloo. The first sign of his downfall was that Bobby Willie discovered he had hep C, a.k.a. Nickelback <laughs> disease. Does Chad Kroger have hep C? <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure all rock stars do. But Bobby Willie's discovery that he had hep C, his diagnosis, mm-hmm. turns out raw dogging it with hookers... <laughs> Or being covered in their blood and never showering can be hazardous to your health. Who would know? Who would have known that? Yeah. Yeah. Shocking. Completely. Bobby Willie thought uh, he got his hep C from that knife fight he got into with Wendy where they were, you know, stabbing each other all Kill Bill style in the Mm -hmm. trailer. Yeah. It's not the sex. It was from the stabbings. Yeah. You know, or the, you know, or the fact, oh, the sex with all the hookers he had. Yeah, it couldn't be any of those other reasons. It I mean, must be the stabbing. There's a lot of sex workers you'd have to go through to get to that. But mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now remember Lynn. Uh, Lynn is a woman who witnessed Picton skinning a woman and hanging her from that hook in the barn. Yeah. Well, it turns out that Lynn is kind of a shit person. Yeah. You see, Lynn lies and claims she never went back to the Picton farm after that night. Right. What happened after she witnesses this woman hanging from a hook is that he gives her $100 and calls her a cab. <laughs> oh, he tells her, though, if she ever tells anyone, you know, he's going to kill her. Yeah. But first, let me be a gentleman and call you a cab and give you $100 to shut up. Yeah. Just a hundy. So Lynn knows that her roommate's a murderer. Mm-hmm. Instead of going to the police, Lynn tries to blackmail Picton for money and drugs. And he just keeps saying he is broke and he's got the hep C. (laughs) Only the latter part is true. And yes, those are his exact words. I've got the hep C. I've got the hep C. No, 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 no. I've got the hep C. He talks like that. I think saying you have hep C is an ingenious way to get out of anything. Nobody wants hep C. If I ever get called for jury duty, I'm going to say I have the hep C. Okay. <laughs> if Stephanie ever wants me to watch Miss Marvel on Disney Plus, I'm going to say I have the hep C. <laughs> what the fuck? Saying you have the coronavirus, that won't work. Americans don't believe in corona. They believe in Bigfoot, not COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if hep C doesn't work, I'm just going to say I've got the gay virus. <laughs> What is known as the Lindsey Graham virus or the Tyler Perry virus. What the fuck? That scares the shit out of middle America. I will say Obama took me to his moon base. Mm -hmm. See, according to some conspiracy theorists, the moon is hollow. Mm. And Obama and (laughs) O'Biden injected me with a gay virus. So I'm a carrier despite being straight. If you have the gay virus and you have kids, you have a gay kid. Terrifying to most Americans. This is a Christian nation. Stephanie, they are on their knees for Jesus. <laughs> Sometimes in a very literal manner. Oh my God. What am I supposed to do with this information? 
not have a gay kid, Fuck off. not be injected with Obama and O Biden's gay virus. <laughs> I thought that shit had nanobites in it. Kill the moon or stay away from the moon. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> she could have put an end to the murders. Instead, she chooses to hang out with a serial killer. And one day, she ODs on drugs in his trailer. On the murder farm, no less. <laughs> and she dies, right, Stephanie? No, no. This is where it's weird. Bobby Willie calls an ambulance and saves her life. I bet you guys never saw that coming. Yeah, yeah. Strange, right? Plot twist. <laughs> Mid to late 90s were a dangerous time for the downtown east side. These were dark days. A state of fear had set in. Women are vanishing without a trace. 14 women went missing in 1997 alone. What came to be known as the worst year. The families of the victims were fed up, heart sick. The families believed police refused to take the disappearances seriously. And they were right. Mm -hmm. What many of them didn't realize at the time was the Vancouver police simply did not care. The missing were what is known as the less dead. Stephanie, what are the less dead? The less dead is a murder victim who is from a marginalized group who are viewed as lacking prestige or power and generally come from lower socioeconomic groups. There was a young woman named Tanya Hulk. She was 23 years old, indigenous, very sweet, very pretty. Tanya had been working as a sex worker. She had struggled with drugs and addiction, but decided to get clean once she became pregnant, mm -hmm. thankfully. She had been in recovery for a while and was doing really well. She had moved in with her mother after her son was born, and things were looking up. She was turning her life around. And then, on Halloween, she leaves her baby with her boyfriend and tells him and her mom she is going to a Halloween party at a barn in Port Coquitlam. <sighs> so when her daughter doesn't return home, the mom, understandably, is freaking out. So she calls the police. And how do you think the Vancouver police responded? Would you like to tell them, Stephanie? Sure. Her missing persons file was closed shortly after it began, as the lead investigator determined that she was just partying. Yeah, they said, don't call us. She's a hooker. <laughs> now, Tanya's DNA was later found in a freezer on the Picton farm. Her remains have never been recovered for a proper burial. So, yeah, he killed her. Yeah. And they didn't care. And they were like, go away, don't bother us. And I imagine hearing that there's a party in a nice neighborhood like Port Coquitlam, because it was, it was affluent, would make someone feel like it's in a safe part of town, right? This can't be somewhere bad. But think about this for a second. So she's invited to this party mm -hmm. at this barn where there's a lot of other people. So he murders a woman that was taken to this barn and there's other people present there. Now, did they see him kill her? There's we're, tons of witnesses. Tons. There's people of privilege there. Yeah. And this is what we're going to get into. Mm -hmm. One thing the Vancouver PD and Robert Picton both have in common was a profound indifference to human life. A total lack of empathy. Lack of compassion. Especially towards sex workers and women struggling with addiction. With Picton, it makes sense given his fucked up childhood. He was molded into a monster by his bearded lady of a mom. <laughs> what excuse do the police have, Stephanie? What is their excuse? I mean, I think it's a culture that comes from the top down of people who 
are involved with the disappearance of, of women, not just from the Picton farm, but from the downtown east side in general. They don't care. So the people under them aren't going to care. Well, it's it's misogyny. Mm-hmm. It's a prejudice against indigenous women. Right. Uh, there is one cop who did try to protect the women, and we will get to that in a bit. So, when we last left the Picton farm, Bobby Willie and Brother Dade have established the Piggy Palace Good Time Society. <sighs> For a while there, what happened in the barn stayed in the barn. Right. Everything was under control. Local business owners, off-duty cops, and politicians were all known to frequent the farm. Think about that sentence for a moment. Yeah. Attending the raves and wild parties. It was this big open secret. What were the police and politicians doing there? Hookers! (laughs) Engaging in sex crimes. I'm assuming some of the doctors and lawyers that also lived in this nice, wealthy neighborhood were attending these parties. Yeah. Yeah. Engaging it they were engaging in sex trafficking, engaging in sex crimes. Think about it. Why else would cops and politicians hang out with bikers? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What the locals refer to as the piggy mafia. That's disgusting. Not to be mistaken for the Amish mafia. That's <laughs> not even real. That's not what that A and E told me. A and E told me the Amish mafia is real, Stephanie. There's no such thing. <laughs> the Amish are practically Quakers. <laughs> I mean, they're not. Was there like, Amish pimps? No. Did they have hookers? <laughs> so more and more sex workers were being brought to the farm from the downtown east side. The chance to have sex with underage sex workers, it was just a little too tempting for the cops and politicians. All those suburban dads. Even the bikers couldn't keep them away. Bobby Willie was Epstein for Canucks. And this was he and his brother's honeypot. Yeah, I saw a Canadian newspaper with a headline, which, much to my astonishment, described the Picton brothers as farm owners known for throwing parties. I shit you not. That is the understatement. That was the headline. Which makes it sound like two shit kickers taking kids on hayride (laughs) and a barnyard petting zoo. You know, you got to have your little sheeps and alpacas and llamas and goats to pet. So you had this illegal sex trafficking operation... On a farm in the middle of an affluent suburb next to a fucking golf course where old men are dicking around with their balls. (laughs) And the good people of Port Coquitlam were fine with it. They were totally okay with them dead hookers and them secret sex orgies as long as they got their tasty back bacon. What happened in the barn stayed in the barn. You betcha. The good people... A poor Coquitlam just didn't like all the noise. The parties got too noisy, you know? <laughs> too much of a kerfuffle. There were too many strange folk that looked like Santa Claus on motorcycles. <laughs> Not very neighborly. It just all got a bit too much for the good people of poor Coquitlam. <laughs> the people at the dog park could hear Nickelback for miles. <laughs> They could hear venereal diseases coming from the barn. <laughs> it was too loud for bingo night. Too loud to race bathtubs. Too loud for games of pond hockey. Secret sex orgies are supposed to be quiet. <laughs> it's supposed to be a secret. 
you talk quietly when we have sex and secret sex orgies. Mm-hmm, Hence mm-hmm. the secret part. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to be polite about <laughs> sex trafficking. <laughs> we don't want the wrong folks to have a peek in the barn. <laughs> it, like I said, it's hard to speak Canadian. I don't know how you Canadians do it. <laughs> Can't you just speak English? <laughs> Queen's English. Uh, we don't even speak the Queen's English. I know. We speak fucked hard American. <laughs> Depending on where you're from, you get different types of... Well, that's true of any continent. And it's true of England. There's different, you know, ways of speaking in the Oh, UK. they got boroughs all over the yeah, place. Yeah, the UK. Yeah, yeah. Manchester and London are two different <laughs> It's not languages. even like the same town. Yeah. <laughs> so, what happened to the Piggy Palace, Steph? In 1998, the Pictons were sued by Port Coquitlam officials for violating zoning ordinances, neglecting the agriculture for which it had been zoned, and having altered a large farm building on the land for the purpose of holding dances, concerts, and other recreations. The Pictons were characteristically defiant and held a wild New Year's Eve party with illegal booze and sex workers, after which they were faced with an injunction banning future parties. No more petting zoos for off-duty cops and politicians. <laughs> the llamas are off-limits. <laughs> The local police were authorized to arrest and remove any person attending future events at the farm. The society's nonprofit status was removed, finally, the following year for inability to produce financial statements. Gee, I wonder why. It was subsequently disbanded. No more orgies with hookers. No more Nickelback. No more cannibal cookouts. <laughs> I gotta say... The Picton Farm is missing one key ingredient. Yeah. A meth lab. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am mildly disappointed there is no meth lab in this case. If there are mullets, there better be a fucking meth lab. <laughs> I, I mean, did, we learned this from Sons of Anarchy. Come on, man. I did not get a meth lab in my research. <laughs> now, I'm an adult, and I will get over it. But there should have been a meth lab in here somewhere. I almost want to just make up one, because... I try to stick to the facts, but the f- the lack of meth lab is disappointing. I'm just saying. Just saying. You think? Yeah, you think they would be in the drug business, considering they're in the illegal sex trade well, business. Robert Pickton's basically your uncle, so I mean, why not? Uh, I mean, yeah, <laughs> guys. My dirtbag uncle used to make meth on my grandparents' farm and abuse them. <laughs> and eventually this meth lab burned down and they were able to convince the insurance company that it was lightning. Yeah. Yeah. Stephanie belongs. They got paid back. Stephanie belongs to the Amish mafia. No, no. No one else in my family turned out like this. But this guy, this guy, the youngest of the brood. Except the man you're married to. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but we're not, we're not related by blood. No, no. He's gross. He's fucking gross. Me? <laughs> no, I'm talking about my gross he fucking uncle. He does have uncle. a skullet. <laughs> my gross uncle who abused animals and, and had a meth lab and abused his kid and and uh, yeah but he, you know everything's been forgiven because he went to jail for it so you know the rest of the family's like oh we love him now and I'm like no 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 has he ever been to Canada <laughs> <laughs> everyone's got one of these family members in their family I well not everyone but a lot of people have my dad was a con artist he wasn't an actual a meth black, maker black sheep and i don't mean like well, you don't fit in i mean like someone who is up to no good what i like about this is when stephanie was saying sons of anarchy she's never seen that show she watched like the first episode when watching it was so boring <laughs> grand theft auto 5 is what i was thinking yeah. <laughs> with trevor with trevor <laughs> now 
One of the people who became suspicious of Robert Picton in the late 90s was a worker for West Coast Reductions by the name of Jim Crest. He drove to the Picton farm one day in 1996 to pick up some bucket of pig guts from Bobby Willie. Mm-hmm. The people wanted their hot dogs, <laughs> Stephanie. You can't make hot dogs without pig guts. <laughs> oh, fucking gross. Cress became concerned when he looked inside one of the drums and saw that the meat was black and in big chunks. He would later say it didn't look or smell like animal meat. I'm going to take his word for that. So rotting human smells different than rotting cows or pigs? How would he know that? Well, I, I'm assuming if you work for a rendering plant, you smell a lot of different kinds well, of dead I'm animals. Well, I'm going to say this. From my research, the West Coast Reductions rendering plant in Vancouver, mm-hmm. it was also a body dump for the Russian mob and the Vietnamese gangs. Yeah, yeah. And if any of you email me saying that's racist, I'm going to call you a fucktard. So. <laughs> and, and then you can email him again and, and say that he's ableist as well. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm going to call him a retard. <laughs> Okay, when he asked Bobby Willie, you know, what was in the bucket, Bobby Willie used his go-to line for everything, I'm just the pig man. (laughs) It's like him saying, I've got the hep C. Yeah. (laughs) I've got the hep C, and I'm just a pig man. (laughs) It is the same line Bobby Willie would use when he was questioned by the police. I'm just the pig man. (laughs) And the Canadian police would say, well, that works for me. You can go now, Mr. Picton. Sorry to bother you about that. I'm not joking. <laughs> you laugh, but I'm not joking. Did they say? Did they say it like that? Yes, because they're fucking Canadians, <laughs> and all Canadians sound like that. Even the educated ones—they all sound like they're from Minnesota, <laughs> which is America. It's American Canada, okay? Canadian America. <laughs> They have back bacon in Minnesota. <laughs> they have Min- they have Minnesota now, cheese. Before you guys all say, why are you making fun of Canadians? We're Canadian. We're your, we, we love Canadians. We love Keanu Reeves. I love John Candy. <laughs> yeah. I hate the fact that he died from eating too much back bacon. <laughs> you guys killed him with your back bacon. <laughs> Wasn't he American by this point? <laughs> He had lived in America, but he was still Canadian. Right. So he's eating. There's a lot of the American Canadian comedians. There's so many just talented people from Canada. Not Nickelback. It's not them. We're not talking about that. I mean, we're talking about Robert Picton. He's talented. (laughs) In all the wrong ways. No, it's not talented. It's not talented. He should have been caught easily. This guy is so fucking messy. He is a criminal mastermind, (laughs) according to the Canadian police. Jesus Christ. I mean, he's got evidence out the ass. He is a mastermind. (laughs) The guy with an 89 percentile IQ is a criminal mastermind. There's video footage of Robert Picton being interrogated by the police. Mm -hmm. And he turns his hands over and they're literally black. I kept thinking it had to be the lighting because a lot of these like low res. the filth because he never showers. Yeah, I I just I was like, no, that can't be the filth. I was like, that's got to be the lighting. Lighting. It's a low res. Uh, a video so, of him. But no, uh, he has blackened palms. Yeah. And I'm sure he reeked. And they were like, oh, that's normal. He's a pig farmer. And they let him go. They said, go on your way, Mr. Picton. You stabbed the shit out of a hooker. And so we're going to let you go. Because it's just a hooker. 
Yeah. Even he, though she almost died. And he was being interrogated by women, which makes it even better. Yeah. So. Part of the research uh, for this podcast is uh, Steph and I watched Dirty Jobs <laughs> because we wanted to know what a rendering plant looks like. Yeah. Dirty Jobs is fascinating because it is basically a show about what Trump supporters do when they aren't beating their wife and kids. <laughs> Fuck me. I kid, I kid. <laughs> I have nothing but respect for anyone who shovels shit for a living. Dude, yes. Anyone who does any of those fucking hell jobs, you, you get mad respect for I me. am what is known as... Because I can't do it. Overedumacated. <laughs> I'm too soy for any of those kind of jobs. I'm too privileged, okay? I'm too dainty. I never set foot in a Home Depot because I, I would lapse into catatonic schizophrenia. <laughs> Te- Stephanie can confirm this. Yeah, I've actually ventured and more into Home Depot. And for some reason now, I'm talking like I'm Canadian. <laughs> infected you yes <laughs> like, well, the yeah, like the hep c like the hep c and the vd <laughs> as we mentioned in part one a rendering plant is one of those places bobby willie disposed of his victims in case you need a reminder guys a rendering plant is a processing operation where dead animals are recycled into products from fast food to biodiesel it is where fast food gets its meats <laughs> you know like uh, taco bells words do not do it justice. No, no, no. You have to see it with your own eyes. Now, I have a strong stomach. As do I. You have to have a strong stomach to do a podcast like this. <laughs> In fact, I would say uh, our podcast should be a dirty job episode because <laughs> of the topics we cover. We, we, we cover the grossest shit on here. Yeah, I do that on purpose. <laughs> fuck with you. Uh, and as soon as we're done with this, I'm taking a shower. Uh, but can you care to describe, Stephanie, what we saw uh, Micro doing on Dirty Jobs? What was he subjecting himself to? Oh, my God. So first, first, you have to pick up the dead animals from these industrial agricultural farms, right? And animals just die. It's not always because they're diseased or something. They die of old age, dairy farms and things like that. What about hookers? <laughs> so... There's a truck and it's it's uh, they got to wrap chains around the animal's neck or its feet and they're just dragging it into a giant trailer full of dead cows. The, now the plant that we saw was the only one that would agree to be filmed and it was a f- generational family thing. And it was in California. It was in California and the guy who owned it was really proud of proud of the place. Uh, as gross as it was because they had been doing this since the 1900s. Um, so after dropping off all these dead ass rotting cows at the rendering plant they then have to skin the animals because the hides are still usable i didn't know that i know that they use uh, from you know the meat industry and things like that that we get leather well they weren't in buckets like they are when from the picton farm there wasn't like bloody chunks in buckets yeah so they're blowing gas into the animal to inflate the skin away from the body to make it easier to... they're already bloated, though, from the decomposition. Yeah, so, I mean, this thing could, like, explode at any and moment. And the, the cows, there's a couple cows that are just crawling with maggots. It is. it is, And then they do the close-ups, the macro shots of the maggots, which that's what made me... And they make the sound me, effects. <laughs> yeah, and I that's the one thing I've always hated is just seeing, you know, swarms of fucking maggots is, is <gasps> revolting. So, anyway, they toss the skins down into a chute where later those are going to get preserved with, <clears throat> excuse me, rock salt. And it'll probably be made into some kind of low-grade leather because this is not your highest quality leather What about cuts. the meat grinder? So then we get to the meat grinder. The meat grinder is almost a story tall. That's how big this piece of machinery is. And again, they use another winch 
and pulley system and they chain up the animal either around the neck or usually it's like the back hooves Mm -hmm. and uh they drop the fucking cow in they slowly descend it into this giant wood chipper like chute and it fucking grinds the animal up from the nose all the way up to its toes and then the toes drop off and they grind up too and it showed it at one point we watched and how it's it's this thing is dangerous as shit. Like, I mean, you wouldn't want to be near and it. And this, and no wonder it could it could grind it could definitely grind. And up this a human. is where yeah. the missing women of Vancouver's down at the East Side. They were yeah. put into one of those. This is the side of industrialization <clears throat> that governments of the world don't want you to see. Yeah, yeah, they it's don't. It's how the sausage is made, as they like to say. Yeah, I always figured like hot dogs are made from the scraps and stuff like that. But and now this one, I don't know. I don't think they do. I think they do like more commercial you know, food products, byproducts, that kind of stuff. And they also use it for making roads. They put it into the tar. But you've got the rendering plants. Mm-hmm. Then you've got food industry with yeah. factories full of disease and abused animals. Well, yeah, that's what you keep seeing these things of like pink slime of trucks like that get tipped over and this disgusting shit. I'm imagining it comes from you these rendering plants. bloated dead cows crawling with maggots that are mm. recycled into belts. You are eating the fucking maggots. Yeah, but also you're wearing them <laughs> you because... They're recycled into belts and boots for, to sale at Target and Walmart. Well, look, I always knew that tanning is disgusting. It's been disgusting since its inception. People have used uh, a urine and like animal feces, dog feces in particular, to tan animal hides. It stinks to high heaven. But you it's got, fucking gross. You know, factories pumping black smoke into our environment. Yeah. You got filthy working yeah. conditions. But no hookers. <laughs> I mean, it is recycling in a way, but it feels so antiquated the way we're doing it. It doesn't seem like it feels like we should be on this part of our tech. You know, it's kind of like the the like, why are we still living in fossil fuel age? Stephanie, in 2022. stop being a Biden feminist. No, because even their fucking idea is stupid, too, because they're like, let's cut down huge swaths of forest and pave it and then put down solar panels that we used coal energy plants in china to produce how the fuck does that make sense? stephanie is bought and paid for by the green new deal no because the green new deal is bullshit (laughs) so when we return we are going to talk about the canadians half-assed attempts at investigating the disappearances of the missing women we are going to get around to investigating those missing hookers after bingo night yeah you betcha i know it's not silence of the lambs but it's what we do The number of missing women spiked from 1998 to 2002, according to a report by the Canadian Association of Sexual Assault Centers, an activist group concerned about how the stigma of prostitution allowed so many women to go missing without investigation. Quote, more than 30 women disappeared since police first investigated Picton as a suspect in 1997, end quote, according to the report. It is now the late 90s. There are four serial killers at large in the Vancouver metropolitan area. Four. Mm-hmm. Including our stanky shitbird, Bobby Willie. And the police knew. They knew, and they did nothing. I get that you don't give a shit about someone murdering sex workers and the homeless. I get that. I understand that they're cops and they hate these people. Yeah. But, it, you know, and it's appalling. It's disgusting. But I get it. They have shown time and time again they are scum. The Vancouver PD, that is. Yeah. What I don't get is why did these clowns become cops in the first place? They could have all been hockey coaches or professional moose trainers. (laughs) 
if I'm a cop and there's a serial killer in my city, I want to hunt the fuckers. It's exciting. I want to catch the bastards. Who doesn't want to hunt serial killers? <laughs> like, everybody on the internet wants to do this. We're all amateur web sleuths, you know? Like Yeah. Except it's, like, supernatural for hunting serial killers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're legally obligated to hunt serial killers if you're a cop. It seems like someone has an agenda here. Mm-hmm. So, Stephanie... What was Project Eclipse? It sounds like some secret space program concerning aircraft built with UFO technology. <laughs> At least that's my read of it. It is the RMCP, which stands for the Royal Canadian Police, the Canadian FBI. And they tried to help in the early 90s. They formed a team of criminal profilers. It was called Project Eclipse. It also went nowhere because the Vancouver PD had no interest in their findings. So they completely ignored them. This is shady as fuck, and they have no excuse. Mm -hmm. It isn't as if profiling was a new science in the early 90s. No. One of the very early episodes of The X-Files, which aired in 1993, has Scully doing a profile of a serial killer. (laughs) Right. The FBI established the Behavioral Science Unit in 1972. If you watch the show Mindhunter, you know this. Right. And it had been used by the FBI going as far back as the 1950s to solve what was then known as stranger killings. They were called... They were called stranger killings because it was a stranger, and typically pe- murders were committed by people you know. So, does Canada not have a version of FBI? I know I just said that they do, <laughs> but just, do they not? They do. It's, because they're acting as if they've never heard of this shit before. Or they're choosing to act as if they've never heard of mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. It turns out the Vancouver PD are a bunch of lazy, dim-witted, and spiteful dickheads. <laughs> Let's talk about a highly regarded criminologist named Kim Rosmo. He worked as a profiler in the Vancouver Police Department. Everyone should know his name. He invented geographic profiling. It's a methodology that analyzes the locations of a connected series of murders to determine the most probable area of the killer's residence. It was the perfect methodology to track the pig farmer killer and stop him. So what happened? Well, you see, they had a lot of reasons, but they fired him. Really? (laughs) There's a lot of speculation as to why. Some believe it is because the Vancouver PD were jealous of him. That infighting among the old boys club in the department cost lives. Rosmo was in high demand all over the world. The Associated Press published a story that ran across the United States and Canada about how he had worked on over 1,700 investigations worldwide. The guy was brilliant. Yeah. Truly gifted. If, if there is one person in this story who is a hero, it is Rosmo. Why was he fired? Many have speculated that the Vancouver PD never wanted the disappearance to solve. Mm-hmm. A far more sinister theory that I happen to agree with. As do I. Rosmo and others were asking questions the city officials did not want answered. Now, you mentioned the old boys club. The old boys club in the Vancouver PD was actively impeding the investigation. And whenever I hear the term old boys club, it always conjures up images of men with cigars and smoke filled rooms and sex trafficking, child sex trafficking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doing bad things. They were cutting Rosmo's budget, banning him from meetings. His office just kept shrinking, shrinking. They would move him to a smaller room, a smaller room. It's kind of like they did in, in, uh, I think in Mindhunter, they did that as well. Yeah, he's basically in a broom closet. Yeah. (laughs) They also stole his chalkboard. Very passive-aggressive, very petty, very Canadian. (laughs) So you have the Vancouver Sun, 
you have social workers, families of the victims, Rosmo, the residents of the downtown east side, people watching their friends disappearing day by day. They were all screaming that a predator was stalking the streets of Vancouver, and the police, they just kept on going. They just ignored them. Again, what gets me about this case, and the thing that I find the most disturbing, and that includes everything Picton does, is the police and their chilling indifference to human life. Mm -hmm. A complete lack of compassion. A hatred of sex workers. It's almost Darwinian. And perhaps a covert agenda on behalf of the Vancouver PD and the city officials. The cops and the city officials kept saying it was a shame that all those women were dying, but what can you do, you know? <laughs> you can go to Port Coquitlam. There's a barn there, you see? They have good music at that barn, you know? <laughs> I like that Nickelback and I like that Smash Mouth. Good music, good people. <laughs> Michael, what does this have to do with the missing women? What can you do, Steph? <laughs> Can't waste money on looking for them dead hookers. <laughs> No room in the police budget for that. <laughs> Gotta save up for Wayne Gretzky's autograph. <laughs> now, I just want to say, as an aside, I saw a news article, and this is very recently, about a Vancouver police officer who was fired after calling in sick 25 times to coach hockey. <laughs> I shit you not. <laughs> Canadians would rather do anything to be cops they would rather work at that gross ass rendering plant with the maggoty cow carcasses and pig guts they would rather mike row their shit than do anything with the police do american cops do anything this stupid i mean aside from ignoring crime and shooting uh innocent people on the back uh do um, they miss work for football because that's our thing instead of hockey no it's i don't think so i've never heard of a you know, and the American cops are, a lot of them are murderers and psychopaths and all that. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, these bad. guys are lazy and malevolent, <laughs> which is a terrible combination. The mayor of Vancouver in the late 1990s, a man by the name of Philip Owen, who was also the head of the police commission, told reporters that there is no evidence a serial killer was at work because no bodies have been found. He didn't think it was the job of the police to locate the missing women. He even opposed the idea of a cash reward for information leading to the arrest of whomever was targeting the women. It should be noted that a $100,000 cash reward was offered up around the same time to find the, the culprits behind a series of home invasion and arsons in affluent Vancouver suburbs. <laughs> you know, the good people with the fat bank accounts. <laughs> the city of Vancouver and the police are cherry picking who lives and who dies. Now, according to an independent study released in 2012, one police official made his thoughts on sex workers clear. Wouldn't piss on them if they were on fire, he said. The report concluded there was systemic bias against sex workers, especially ones of indigenous descent. Of course there is. Of course. In 1999, a close female friend of the Pictons, Lisa Yields, the woman who cleaned Picton's trailer and took him to magic shows, thought she spotted bloody clothing identification, and personal items that Picton kept as trophies, a term used to describe things often kept by serial killers to remind them of the high from the murder. Mm -hmm. She talked about what she saw to Bill Hiscox, a salvage worker and the employee of the Pictons, and he in turn went to the police. He informed a female constable of the police several times, but she replied that his claims legally only amounted to hearsay, as it was secondhand information. To get a warrant, they needed something more tangible. The police were like, do you have a body? Can you bring us the body of a dead hooker? <laughs> just, just bring us one. 
After the police ignored him, his Cox took his story to the Vancouver Sun. Mm -hmm. The police did not like this. <laughs> it was bad press. They wanted all the good people of Canada to see them as heroes. Right, right. Bill Hiscox has remained adamant for years that something very dark and sinister was going on with the Vancouver PD, going as far as to suggest a cover-up, including local police officers and officials. It stems from the fact that, according to Bill, the police turned down his offer to blow the lid off the case too easily. He told a reporter in 2012, I was willing to go inside. I was more than willing and more than happy to do whatever it took to stop this guy. I went as far as to suggest they put a wire on me. But the police decided against it. When they were questioned on this decision, they claimed that Hiscock said he was unwilling to go undercover for them because he was a recovering drug addict. Yeah. Hiscock still asserts that's completely false mm -hmm. to this day, he says this. And that the police just cut off contact with him for no reason, citing false claims of him harassing them. Oh, yeah. He was harassing them. A guy who is a criminal uh, or involved in criminal activities doesn't just go and put their life on the line. Also, unless they've seen some shit that's really freaked most them out. people who wear a wire are criminals. They're yeah. involved in the criminal enterprise. Yeah, it's how you catch yeah. other people who are you worse. You flip people. Yeah, and he was willing to do this on his own. This all feels like a season of True Detective. Yeah. It also feels like a dark and gritty version of Tiger King. The Snyder <laughs> Cut of Tiger King. <laughs> I believe the police did eventually put Robert Picton under surveillance for only three days. Oh. Okay. They said they didn't see him kill anybody, so they called it off. I wonder if they informed the Pictons of this. Well, they did ask Picton if they could search the property, and he said, sure, go ahead. But the police politely declined in the most Canadian way possible. Apparently, the Vancouver PD has never heard of a cooling-off period for serial killers. Yeah. Serial predators reemerge from a cooling-off period to strike again when the urge to kill becomes overwhelming to them. Right. Uh, think about it. If they killed every day... They would get caught easily, especially in this day and age. Yeah. Or even back then in, you know, the late 90s and early aughts. Well, with how messy Picton was, they could have caught him in the first year. I'm they didn't even that. try. They didn't even they try. They didn't acknowledge there were dead people, uh -huh. as we've seen over and over again. They just like, nope, no body, no deaths. So as we were saying earlier, it should be noted that Hiscox had a serious criminal record and history of petty scamming. That being said, there is a difference between being a petty criminal and a serial killer. A big one. Hiscox was raised by the system and grew up in foster care with Lisa, who found all that incriminating shit in Picton's trailer. Hiscox's wife had died in 1996, and he became addicted to drugs. It was Lisa who got him the job on the Picton farm. Hiscox, whatever his motives, was doing more to help stop a serial killer than anyone in the Vancouver PD. So... In the year 2000, <laughs> you know, the future, Y2K, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police decided they were going to step up and do something. Mm -hmm, they mm -hmm. would conduct their own investigation into the missing women, a real investigation. Okay. It was called, drumroll please, Project Even Handed. Oh, Wow. Even-handed is such a Canadian name for a police investigation. I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> they might as well have called it Project Wet Fart or Project Half Measure, Project Weak Sauce, Project Erectile Dysfunction. It's like if Ben Shapiro's voice was a task force. <laughs> That's Project Even-handed. Very low T. Uh-huh. 
Uh-huh. Even for Canadians. It's Project Meh. Project whatever. Project about a six. After all the shit that's happened, after all the disappearances, I expected something with teeth. Project Imminent Wrath. Yeah. Project Napalm the Farm. <laughs> Project Behead the Fucker. <laughs> Project Pig Farmer Assassination. <laughs> which, which sounds like a great Chuck Norris movie. <laughs> I wanted to see... Warrant in hand, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police descending on the murder farm like the wrath of God. That would have been awesome. In their ridiculous red outfits, wielding hockey sticks, <laughs> with their grizzly bear dogs ready to chow down on mullets. <laughs> Who came up with the name even-handed? The Democrats? Well, what is their even-handed to be about? Well, I don't understand this. Oh, we gotta be fair to people we think are murderers. They wussed out instead of hunting down the ghoul like they should. The task force is like, respect the killer in his unique perspective, you know? He's a human being, unlike those damn hookers. (laughs) You know how they know they were hookers? They were abducted on a street. Women on a street equals hookers. (laughs) So if a woman's just uh, walking around, she's a hooker. No, she's a hooker. Hooker. (laughs) We call them sex workers, but in Canada, apparently they're hookers because in the book... On the Farm by Stevie Cameron, where we got a lot of research from. Every time a Canadian mentions them, they're hookers. Hookers. Whether it's the cops, whether it's the dirtbags on the farm, whoever it is, it's hookers. hookers. (laughs) It's not prostitutes. It's not sex trade workers. It's not sex workers. It's hookers. It's demeaning as fuck, man. And and it's always in caps, too. Hookers. (laughs) No. (laughs) So, what was Project Evenhanded supposed to do, Stephanie? The task force was supposed to investigate anyone suspected of abducting the missing women. 1997 was the bloodiest year of Picton's reign of terror, with 14 women missing. In 1998, it was 11. Five vanished in 1999. The problem was only one woman had gone missing by October of 2000. Far less than the 14 that went missing in 1997. So what happened to Project Evenhanded? I wonder if you can guess. It was disbanded. They were just looking for any excuse, and the life of one woman wasn't worth the trouble. They couldn't even have bothered to look for her. It was just one hooker, Steph. Just one. hooker. And the moment Project Paper Tiger was disbanded, the killing started immediately again. Who could have seen this coming? (laughs) Picked and abducted and murdered three women from late November to New Year's. How convenient. Almost as if there was a man on the inside. I wonder. But. I wonder. What if it wasn't a man at all? Did you know who was on the Vancouver City Council, Stephanie? Could it be Satan? You aren't far off. It was Linda Picton. Now, to be fair, we have no proof she was involved in any of the cover-up. And who was Linda Picton, in case anyone forgot? The sister of David and Robert Picton. Right. The one who ran away. Yeah, it was two, two episodes ago. But when all of this is over, when Bobby Willie is caught, she sues the city for digging up the farm. Wait, she was the one that sued her? Her and her brother. brother. What? Yes. She Uh. was mad they disrupted the farm. That's what she cares about. Not the dead women. Not the dead hookers. You know, at the beginning of this, I had felt bad that she was related to this horrific family. I don't feel that way anymore. They said that they kill... Fuck her too. They said they kill the fish in the pond. Oh, the poor fucking fish in the pond. Jesus Christ. Now, to be fair to Linda, we have no proof she was involved in any kind of cover-up. I just find it troubling the Picton brothers had a relative sitting on the city council, and Mm -hmm. I will leave it at that. Mm -hmm. 
So, after the break, we are headed back to the farm in Port Coquitlam. Not to be confused with Coquitlam. Yes, they are two different places and right next to one another. I'm sorry, that's fucking retarded. (laughs) The long arm of the law is about to reach out and grab Bobby Willie by the gonads. In July 1999, the popular true crime show America's Most Wanted broadcast a story about the missing women of Vancouver. The show's host, John Walsh, asked if a modern-day Jack the Ripper was at large. Although local politicians had decided they had to cooperate with the show, an angry and defiant police force wanted nothing to do with the production. John Walsh came to Vancouver to announce, together with Provincial Attorney General Ujal Dossange, a $100,000 reward for information on the missing women case. Although police don't have any evidence of foul play, there is a gut instinct that all of us have, Desange said. What I have always loved about John Walsh is that he will give the cops a hard time if he thinks they aren't doing their jobs. Mm -hmm. He really does care, which makes sense given his tragic backstory, which we're not going to get into, but look it up, it's tragic. Yeah, he's, he's very much a victim's advocate. Yeah. And the cops here are just making themselves look complicit by refusing to cooperate with America's Most Wanted. Mm -hmm. What are they hiding? They can't even pretend to give a shit. Moronic and stupid. Not a good combo. They make me sick. They really do. Well, and some of these missing women are now Americans. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they're nobodies or they're poor, whatever. True. but They're victims of crime. Right, but it does catch the eye of Americans because now American women are a part of this. So it's no longer just contained to Canada. They can't keep it all to themselves and be like, oh, well, for 20 years, we're just letting people get murdered. <laughs> Go missing. Yeah. So let's get back to the farm. Bobby Willie has been a busy boy. He has recruited two terrible, morally bankrupt women to help him lure his victims to the murder farm. Violent, manipulative, and with zero empathy. Amy Coney Barrett, Amber Heard? Yeah. Yeah, I could. I, that's about right. We're kidding. <laughs> I'm not. Gina Houston and Diana Taylor. Is are- it Dina or Dana? <laughs> How do you say Dana in Canadian, Stephanie? Dana? No, it would be Dina. Dina. <laughs> <laughs> Dina Taylor was dubbed the Witch of Endor by social workers. She was a nightmare of a human being in every respect. Diana's DNA would later be found on hundreds of items on the Picton's property, including items belonging to the victims and some of Robert Picton's weapons. And by weapons, I mean the things he used to kill the women with mm-hmm. and the handcuffs. Mm-hmm. The baffling thing about Gina Houston and Dinah is that they were sex workers who hated sex workers. Yeah. Talk about some cognitive dissonance. Yeah. They were the walking definition of internalized misogyny. So how naughty were Gina and Dina, Stephanie? <laughs> they were so bad they would go to women's shelters on the downtown east side, where they would tell the women they had an uncle who would give them drugs and money. Most would say no, because by this time, Willie was now on a list of Johns who were considered to be risky or dangerous. But every once in a while, a woman who was desperate for cash, drugs, or both would accept their offer to go with them to the murder farm. And both Gina and Dina claim they never knew what Picton was doing with the women. And I call bullshit. Because mm-hmm, I think it was their idea. It makes you wonder if they helped him dismember the bodies. It was either their idea or Dave's idea. Yeah. Because Picton is a moron. 
Willie Picton of IQ89 is not coming up with the idea to go to women's shelters to recruit women to be murdered. Yeah. That's not his idea. No, this guy has no ideas. <laughs> You're telling me this guy has the intellect. Well. And the well, cognitive awareness. Uh-uh. Just wait till you guys hear what he does next. So there's this kid named Andy Bellwood, and he was a college student and a drug addict who found himself living on the Picton's property. This is someone Bobby Willie considered his friend. And one night, and late one night in February 1999, the two were hanging out in Willie's trailer when he decided to share his secrets with Andy. Mm. There were no women around. It was time for some man talk, Stephanie. (laughs) Willie asked Andy if he wanted to go get some hookers. (laughs) It's always the hookers. This is like Trump and Billy Bush on that Access Hollywood bus. Gross. You know, locker room talk. Oh, God. So criminal mastermind Robert Picton just casually tells Andy about what he likes to do to hookers. <laughs> Willie pulled out his instruments of death from underneath his shit-stained mattress. They were in his room? Yeah. Oh. Where will? Though that's where he murders people. Yeah, but who? Why is anyone hanging out in that guy's bedroom? I don't know. Oh, God. Maybe they slept together. I don't know. Maybe there's no couch. <laughs> yeah. There's <laughs> just a mattress, a rotted mattress. So he pulls out his instruments of death, which are a pair of handcuffs, a belt, and a pair of piano wire with handles on each end. God damn. What could you be doing with that? Willie told Andy he picked up hookers from the downtown east side. <laughs> Willie said he would have sex with them from behind, handcuff them, and then strangle them to death. He even gave Andy a demonstration of how he murdered his victims. With a piano wire. Yeah, he wanted, you know, it's like a puppet show with death. (laughs) (laughs) Now remember, Willie doesn't drink or do drugs. He isn't drunk or high. He is sober, and he is confessing to murder to this person he hardly knows. Right, because this sounds like a, a drunken confession. He's not drunk. He's only been drunk one time in his life, and that was years before this. Picton then told him he would take the bodies of the hookers out to his slaughterhouse where he would gut and butcher them before feeding the rest to the pigs. Mm. Sometimes he would just feed the women alive to the pigs for fun. So if he hadn't finished strangling them to death, if they were like half dead, I guess. No, you're wrong. Just fully alive. He would kick it and scream it. Handcuff them, hogtie them, and then they're thrown in the pig pen. What kind of feral pigs is he keeping on this farm? Pigs will eat people. They're hungry enough. If live people? Yes. Jesus. Jesus. You gotta remember this is the farm with that giant massive 600 pound pig that's just uh, uses a guard dog. Yeah, there is a wild sow uh running amok. And there's a dog, too, that he feeds people to. Oh, my God. Yeah, we talked about this. I forgot. Yeah, I forgot that he he fed the dog a human chum. (laughs) You know, (laughs) just making making buckets of chum out of dead women. Here here you go, animals. And then he confides into Andy that the parts the pigs wouldn't eat, he would take to the rendering plant where they were turned into Jell-O or belts at Walmart. (laughs) So, Stephanie... What happened to poor sweet Andy? Well, Andy didn't say anything at first. A few days later, Bobby Willie realized he had revealed a bit too much with Andy and decided he should put some fear into him. 
Willie and his brother Dave invited Andy over to their office, accused him of stealing tools from the farm, and then nearly beat him to death. Before Andy was allowed to leave, they even made him clean up his own blood off the floor, and he never returned to the Picton farm again. Jeez. To me, this proves that David Picton was involved in the killings. Of course he was. I think it's obvious. Mm -hmm. I really want to know how Andy reacted when Bobby Willie was telling him his secrets. Can you imagine how you would react to somebody casually telling you how they murdered sex workers and fed them to pigs? I, I would probably pretend that I was like impressed, right? Because I would be afraid of getting killed. So I'd be like, oh, wow, that's wow. Or maybe he didn't believe him because it just sounds unbelievable. Yeah. Or, you know, you're just like, uh-huh, hmm, anything, right? Just fuck, I or, just want to get out of this granted, situation. Granted, I've heard how Robert Picton talks, and it's kind of hard to understand what he's saying, so. He does sound half-crazed most, yeah, most of the Yeah, he sounds time. like a lunatic. Yeah. And he is a lunatic, so that makes sense. <laughs> so let's get to Scott Chubb, the guy with a great name. This, and this name? Scott Chubb looks exactly as you would imagine. <laughs> he has a mullet, <laughs> and he looks like someone who has posters of late-stage Steven Seagal on his walls. Or Steven Seagal, yeah. as one Which of my teachers used Seagal, to call Seagal, when he's in his fat Elvis phase... <laughs> Where he's got like a carrot, he's chonking on, he's chewing on the carrot. He's got a carrot? Yeah, there's this, there's a gif of him, a a video of him eating a carrot and he's super fat. Like Bugs Bunny? Yeah, but he's got his goatee. What? He's got like a goatee in the center of his face because the rest is fat. (laughs) I can't, I want to see this. (laughs) I've tweeted it multiple times. Why have I never seen the carrot? Fat Seagull. Steven Seagull. Because you're too busy arguing with woke people. Uh, actually, I'm too busy just avoiding Twitter most of the time. It's horrible on there. All right, let's get back to Chubb. All right. The Chubb rub. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So Chubb is another trashy scumbag who has been working for the Pictons for years. And, you know, this is a problem because uh, they don't like to pay people. Yeah, they don't like to pay people and they like to confess murders to people and then those people get mad and then something bad might happen if you tell somebody about a murder and you're not paying them or you beat the shit out of them yeah yeah so and one day willie offered chubb a job removing nails from plywood so the picton brothers could resell it the pictons recycle everything i just want to say that i think this job is kind of cool (laughs) weird but cool i mean they're just hammering nails out I know, but I have no ability with handyman work, so this impresses me. And earlier in the podcast, we've talked about how I was shitting on, you know, people who do do dirty jobs. I was crapping on people who do dirty jobs. I mean, I can do handyman work. I know, I (laughs) can't. What the fuck? You laugh at me, but last (laughs) podcast on the left covered this, and two of the guys had never heard of this. They had never heard of Reclaimed Wood. And I love them, and I love the podcast, but... Even I, well, I, I take it back. I had never heard of this until I read what? this book. Anyone who watches any kind of like um, DIY show, build house show, they know. know reclaimed wood is really, really high in demand. I don't know if it was then, like plywood, but good wood, especially Stephanie, if it's like antique wood. People fucking hang that Stephanie, shit in their houses. I don't watch DIY shows. <laughs> I watch... You're not addicted to HGTV? YouTube videos about conspiracy <laughs> theories. The X-Files and, you know, shit on Netflix and junk like that. I Stranger mean, Things. If you can find, like, 50-year-old barnwood, you will make money. 
I know. I just can't stand all those DIY shows. I think they're annoying. <laughs> a lot of them are trash. I will agree with that. All right. Let's get back to Chubb. Okay. Back to Chubb. Wait. So Chubb told the police that as they were doing the job, as they were doing this cool job of removing nails. <laughs> just hammering nails back out of wood. <laughs> I'm impressed. Chubb. I mean, it's probably satisfying by the end of the day. I mean, the nails yeah, are gone. Yeah, you want to watch videos of them. Oh. Yeah, just hammering out the fucking nails. <laughs> Tub, tub. <laughs> Scott Chubb, not Scott Tub. <laughs> His name. <laughs> Chubb told the police as they were doing the job, Willie randomly offered him one thousand dollars to kill Lint. A whole thousand. <laughs> That's how little he thinks of Scotty Chubb. <laughs> well, he probably thinks a thousand dollars is big money time, man. Yeah. That's a lot of money. I'll offer you 500 bucks to go kill 10 people. (laughs) I mean... This won't even pay his rent. So, in case anyone has forgotten, Lynn is the woman who is blackmailing Willie for money after she walked in on him dismembering a woman in the barn. Yeah, apparently Willie telling her he had the hep C (laughs) was no longer working. (laughs) She had gotten thousands of dollars out of him for not reporting his crimes. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I have some theories about that. We'll get into them later. But all Chubb had to do, Willie told him, was inject Lynn with window washer fluid, and the cops would never know the difference between that and an OD. And Chubb did not do this, of course. Because he's not insane. <laughs> His name is Chubb, but he's not insane. Uh-huh. But why didn't Willie do it himself? Right. Why, why do you think? I, he's killed uh, tons of women. I think he actually likes... Lynn, I don't think he really wanted to kill her. I think someone else has told him to do it. Yeah. It's also interesting, too, because as far as we know, Willie never killed any men. He killed women. He didn't kill any men. He could have mm-hmm. killed Andy, but he didn't. He beat the shit out of him. Yeah. But he didn't. I think there's something about Lynn that reminds him maybe of his mother. So you think that's why he saved her from ODing? Yeah. Yeah. Because he could have let her die right. instead of calling 911. But you're attracted to the thing that you are most familiar with, and I'm sure she feels very familiar and safe. A counterpoint to that would be maybe he didn't want anyone to be associated. Maybe he didn't want anyone dying on the farm because then the police might snoop around. He and could have just fed her to the pigs. I don't I don't think that's, that's a good logical reason there because yeah. he could have just disposed of her body the way he did everyone else. So why save her? He likes her. I do feel like this proves Lynn's story about witnessing the meat hook sodomy in the barn. Uh, Yeah, yeah. So in November of 2001, Scott Chubb got a late call from the Vancouver PD. Chubb had gotten into a domestic disturbance with his common-law wife, Tasha. They were separated, and she was living in Port Coquitlam with their son. How do you say Tasha in Canadian, Stephanie? I think you said it just like that. Tasha! (laughs) You know, Tasha! You You gotta put those long A's on there. So one night when Chubb was visiting his son, Tasha flew at him in a rage. You see, Chubb was $11,000 behind on his child support payments. So Chubb called the police. When you say flew at him, do you mean like a flying squirrel or a flying moose? Why not a flying caribou? Or a flying pig? (laughs) A flying Chubb. Chubb, who was drunk by the time the cops arrived accused his wife of using drugs. My wife's a drug addict. <laughs> you see? Cocaine, to be more precise. And I'm assuming not the crack kind, because cocaine is 
expensive. Crack is whack, you know. These are crack people. <laughs> These are meth people. It's definitely crack people. Love and meth. <laughs> he said he was sick and tired of it and wanted the police to do something about Port Coquitlam's drug problem. Yeah. <laughs> Chubb knew all about the biker gangs and criminal underworld in Port Coquitlam. The cop, a rookie named Nathan Wells, realized Chubb might be useful as an informant in the future, and he ended the visit by giving him his card. I'll make you famous, Chubb told the cop. He didn't explain what he meant. And nobody believes that anyone named Chubb can make anybody famous. (laughs) Why why would they? (laughs) Your name is Scott Chubb. Better than McWeenie. (laughs) By the way, Chubb is not really fat. He's skinny. I thought he'd be a super fat dude, like obese. But no, he's like this skinny Molotron guy. <laughs> I can see it. I can see it. Yeah. <laughs> he's got that wiry crackhead strength. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, Scott Chubb. I, I don't mean to uh, insult the shit out yeah, of you. Yeah, you're talking about a hero. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So on February 1st, 2002, Chubb called the rookie cop, Constable Nathan Wells. His rent was due, and he was broke after having lost his job. You know, because the Pictons don't fucking pay people. Mm-hmm. It was time to talk. Chubb needed money, and he needed it fast. There are no payday loans in Canada. <laughs> no, no. No check into cash. No check into cash. Check into cash. No title loans. <laughs> no predatory lenders to get, get some quick... Do they, don't they have, like, pawn shops? You can, you know, because they do those kind of loans, too. That's true, but maybe he... Had run out of things to pawn. I only know this because my grandmother used to go to a pawn shop and she would get payday loans. <laughs> Which was nuts because your parents had plenty of fucking money. They didn't do, they didn't need to do She any would of that always stuff. tell me, she would say, and the guy at the pawn shop says, Well, you know, Lou, I'm a libertarian. <laughs> what did that have to do with anything? The pawn shop, I'm a libertarian. Yeah, that's what he would tell her. And then he would like, you know, give her five hundred dollars. Was this here in Kansas? Yes. <laughs> It's in uh, Shawnee Mission. Of course, of course. It's very Shawnee. All right. In a conversation that lasted only a half hour, Chubb told the cops about a creepy pig farmer he knew that lived at 963 Dominion Avenue in Port Coquitlam. He informed them that Robert Picton had illegal firearms on the property, including a Smith & Wesson Mac 10, a 38, and a 44, possibly hidden in the laundry room. Wait, they use soap? They wash clothes? The cops told Scott Chubb that he would have his money by the next week. File under things that would never happen in America. <laughs> Canada is fine with dead sex workers. Yeah. It is the guns that keep them up at night. <laughs> so the deal was on, and this is where it all goes to hell for Robert Pickton. Now, I want to say, you're talking about the um, laundry room. Well, if they don't use it to wash, it'd be a perfect place to hide guns. <laughs> washer it's a vacant room they never use it you don't shower you don't bathe you don't wash your clothes you just open up the laundry room and it's like that scene in the matrix where all the guns you know they go into the they fly by the wall like except there's like uh uh rotting maggots and flies flying out of moths (laughs) other kinds of vermin skittering out in between the guns this is what i imagine the trailers are like Guns was the beginning of the end of Robert Picton. <laughs> so next time, we will finally, I promise, we will finally reveal what was really buried on the Picton farm, as well as the infuriating way the Canadian justice system handled his trial and dive into the dark psychology of Robert Picton, the pig farmer killer. And this is 
the penultimate episode of season two. Next week will be the season finale, and then Stephanie and I are going to take a break for a month before we come back with Chris Knowles and Patreon and a bunch of other crazy shit. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we're tired. We're yeah. tired. We need a break. We need a vacation. This case is exhausting. <laughs> We've been living I, with it for months. I yeah, <laughs> months. But I felt like we had to do one more episode to focus on the trial and give the victims their due, and and just pound this judge because you're going to hate the judge. He's another villain in this story. There's so many. Yeah. The cops, the Pictons, the mom, the the two sex workers who were malevolent she-bitches. Other people in the government who probably knew about this. Yeah. And just, you know, the racism. This this goes deep. The misogyny. This is not one person. This goes so much deeper than one person being a serial killer. It's a conspiracy, you know. Like I said before, it's like a season of True Detective, which is why it's such a massive, sprawling case. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. why it deserved four episodes. If Amber Heard can get four then the missing women of Vancouver can get four. Aren't you wishing you had done alligators eating people now? No. This is much more interesting, actually. <laughs> alligators eating people is like a 30-minute Patreon episode. <laughs> I think the guy who kills women with alligators is named Ball. Ball? <laughs> From Texas. His Ball? Name, his name is like something Ball. Ball. Yeah, Ball. Oh, well, I was thinking about Brian Laundry getting eaten by some alligators, and that was pretty cool. Yeah, but that would... Still, that'd be very, that'd be like a 15 minute episode. Well, he was eaten by alligators. The end. Yeah. (laughs) All right. We will see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you.